Well, one of my earliest memories uh, as a child was going over to my grandmother's house. And I remember walking into her home and, and then walking into her dining room and looking at her dining room table and all across her dining room table, uh, strewn across the table were puzzle pieces. And usually there was like a, a picture that was halfway there. It was like a half of the Eiffel Tower or it was like a, a covered bridge and a beautiful fall scene that, you know, hadn't been put together all the way. And, and I would love because my grandmother would say, you know, why don't we sit down and let's put the puzzle together. And we would sit for hours and, you know, we would, we would find the pieces. And, and my favorite moment at the end was when we would find the very last piece. And she would always say to me, well, why don't you put it in? And, and, I, and I have such beautiful memories of, of putting together puzzles with my grandmother. How many of you grew up liking to put puzzles together? Yeah, it's fun. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a fun thing to actually see the pieces come together and create a picture, right? My kids both also, they went through phases where they loved doing uh, puzzles and they, and they enjoyed the process of, you know, sitting on the floor together and, you know, maybe watching barnyard animals come into the barn and the picture was finally put together or all the letters of the alphabet finally found their their rightful place and, and and one of the things that I loved was my kids then doing the same thing that I loved to do finding that last piece and putting it into the picture and one of the problems though with puzzles is if a puzzle is missing a piece the picture never really looks finished or complete does it it has this gaping hole in it, and it represents the piece that can't be found. Uh, we, we've got a puzzle in our house, and uh, my kids put this puzzle together. Somebody gave it to us when they were really little. It's, it's really tiny. It's one of those wooden ones. And uh, my kids used to love to put this puzzle together. It represented their hands, but somehow we lost the pinky along the way. And I remember both of my kids, when they were really tiny, they were like, you know, just little toddlers, and they'd figure out how to put it together. They would like look at their right hand and be like, should I not have this? Like they were trying to figure out like, what do I do with the fact that I don't have the pinky? The picture isn't complete without all the pieces. The journey of growing up remains incomplete. It almost feels like the puzzle with the missing piece if we try to do this process on our own. You see, the thing is, is that we are meant to grow up together. God did not design the transformation process to happen in isolation. We're created to do it with each other, and God's unique design is in friendship. But oftentimes, what happens is this is actually the missing piece in our journey of growing up. In fact, just think about your childhood friendships, right? Think back to elementary school. How important was it for you to have a best friend? It was so important to you in elementary school, right? And, and not only did you need a best friend, you needed like the first best friend, the second best friend, potentially even a third best friend, right? I mean, it was so important to you. Even as little kids, we craved connection with others. I remember Elizabeth Etheridge, oh gosh, I wanted to be her best friend so bad in the first grade. And I remember for my birthday that summer, she had this awesome bike and it had this cool banana seat on it, and it had like a sun and bursts coming out of the sun, and there were like these sparkly things coming out of the handlebars. And I remember begging my parents, like, I need that bike. I need that bike so we can become best friends. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how important this is to us as kids. A couple weeks ago when we did that, the only God thing with the stones, my son Elijah he wrote down his best buddies on his stone. That that was one of the coolest things that God had done in his life this last year was he said, Mom, it's so awesome. God didn't just bring me one best friend. He brought me two best friends. What is it as children? No one told us that we needed a best friend, did they? You just knew you needed one. And it, it doesn't change for us as we grow older. We try to approach it a little bit differently, but we still have that same desire, don't we? 
We still have that same deep desire to have friends that we deeply connect with. And, and we do it differently as adults. We, we, we try to figure out our friendships differently. Just think about it for, for a moment. Think about social media, right? Okay, so we try making friends with people by taking pictures of ourselves and saying, look, here's me reading a book. I'm reflective. Like, and we put this out to the world and we're like, I'm awesome. Be my friend, right? You know, and, or, or we take a picture of ourselves at like a really fancy restaurant or something like that with some sort of dish of food that we can't even pronounce. And, and we're like, you know, like this. And we're like, look. I'm a foodie, right? You know, and, and it's like, if you're a foodie, let's be friends. Or, or we have those moments where, you know, on Thursdays, we, we put up a picture and we're like, here's me with braces and glasses in the fourth grade. Hashtag TBT. See, I'm an overcomer, you know? And, 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 and we have these moments through social media where we throw these things out there. And what we're hoping and what we're almost saying is like, so retreat me favorite me, like me, strangest one, poke me. I I still don't understand that one. But social media is this momentary connection hoping for friendship. That's what social media is. It's this momentary connection hoping for friendship, but the soul is never satisfied with connection. You see, a fleeting connection is like junk food for the soul. A fleeting connection is like junk food for the soul and building real friendships, not the the Facebook kinds of friends. It becomes a little bit tricky and much more difficult for us as adults, especially because not every friend that we have will be the kind of friend that helps us grow. And every one of us, every one of us, if I were to say to you, you know, who, who are three friends in your lives, in your life, you would probably be able to name three people quite quickly, especially if we give a, a pretty broad definition to the word friend. If we just define a friend as, as a person that you like and enjoy being with, you probably just thought of three people right there. A person that you like and that you enjoy being with. It could be the person that you sit across from at work. You talk about each other's weekends when you go into the break room and, and you're pouring the coffee. You would describe that person as a friend. It could be your neighbor and, and periodically, you know, you see one another and you shoot the breeze and, and every Christmas rolls around and you make sure to send them a card and you would give them the definition in your life, that's, that's my neighbor, that's my friend. It could be a friend from college that you hang out with and, and, and on a regular basis. You watch the game together and then when your team wins, you know, you, you chest bump and you high five and you hug if your team wins, you know, and you're like, yeah, bro, they won, you know. And, and, and every one of us, every one of us probably has many of these kinds of friends in our lives. And these are good friends. They're important friends. They're not bad friends. They're actually very essential But these kinds of friends are are almost like surface friends in our lives. They stay up on the surface of our life. And they're good and they're important, but they aren't the kinds of friends that participate in our transformation. See, surface friends, they stay up here. The kinds of friends that help us grow, the kinds of friends that help us become who God intended us to be, those are called soul friends. There's surface friends, and then there's soul friends. And soul friends are the people that we can bring our whole selves, our whole selves, every part of who we are, especially our inner selves. And in that relationship, we are accepted as we are for the sake of who we're becoming. We're accepted right as we are in life for the sake of who we're becoming in Christ. And and these kinds of friends, what they do is they safeguard our uniqueness. They nurture our growth. They see us as whole people, and then they help us become more whole along the way. These kinds of friends are both tough in our life, and they're tender 
in our life with their love for us. Soul friends have this ability to, to sort of always turn their ears and their, their eyes towards God and listen to what is God saying in this person's life. And, and a soul friend's deepest desire is for us to discern the presence, the will, and the leading of the Spirit of God. And so my question for you tonight is who does this for you? Who does this for you in your life? Who do you know, who do you know that helps you grow? I mean, when you think about it that simply, when you think about it that simply, who do you know that helps you grow? And maybe even take it a little bit further. Who do you need to know? Who do you need to know that will help you grow? You see, we're probably all able to name people that we would put on the list of a surface friend. But my question to you is, can you name three people that you would put in the list of a soul friend? Can you name three people who are actively helping you grow? And I suspect that every single one of us in this room, we long for that in our lives, don't we? We want those kinds of relationships. We want those kinds of friendships. We want soul friends. In fact, we even want to be soul friends to people. We want more than just a a fleeting connection in our friendships. And and what it is that we want, that thing that you desire, the name of that is intimacy. See, intimacy is to know and to be known. And God hardwired it inside of every single one of us. Every single one of us is hardwired to long for that, to know and to be known. But the problem is that it's what we most long for and it's also what we most fear. You see, you want intimacy. I want intimacy. But we also fear it. I've had tons of people where I've been in a conversation and we've been talking about this and I'm asking, you know, do you have these kinds of soul friends in your life? Who do you connect with? When you, when you are struggling, when you are listening, trying to discern what is God saying to you? Who are the soul friends that you go to? Oftentimes, what people will say back to me is, I want that. Believe me. I want that in my life and I, I so long for that, but I'm just so afraid that if I open myself up to that, that I'm going to get hurt. Maybe you yourself have even said that before. Here's, here's the actual truth about that statement. You're right. You're probably going to. And here's why. Good friendships, good friendships, soul friendships, will always have a healthy element of pain. If you have a good soul friend, that soul friend is speaking the truth to you. And sometimes the truth is painful, isn't it? It's because it's impossible. It is impossible to be transformed without experiencing pain. And the reason that I know that is I've experienced it in my own life. I know this to be true. I've had that feeling. I've had that moment in a friendship where I I almost find myself and I'm like holding my breath in suspense and and, and I'm almost like quietly praying and, and I have that moment where I've got that feeling where as soon as someone gets close enough to me, I have that fear that once they see that I'm actually a very broken person, that that's the moment they're gonna bolt. That's the moment they're, they're going to just turn their head and they're going to walk out the door and they're going to go, ugh, why, why would I want to be friends with you? And, and the thing is, is that the soul, as much as we crave intimacy, the soul is terrified of rejection. The soul's terrified of rejection. But I have learned, I have learned that suffering and even Rejection is a part of a greater story arc that God is writing in each of our lives. To be like Jesus, you have to experience pain. To be like Jesus, he experienced rejection, didn't he? 
And this is part of the greater story arc that God is writing in our lives. And I believe that nothing really redemptive happens in our lives without pain. And pain is often what gives way to new life and to wholeness. C.S. Lewis, he beautifully said that to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly even broken. And if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. You see, to open up your heart is to essentially say, I'm opening up myself to the possibility of pain. And when we choose to do this, when we choose to do this, we enter into a sacred transformational process. And we choose to do the tough and tender work that soul friendships require. What we end up getting in return is we get to get a little bit of eternity in our everyday lives. You see, soul friends, when when we experience the blessing and the gift that comes from a soul friendship, it is literally another proof. It is another evidence of God at work in our lives. It's as beautiful as when you look at a sunset and you go, clearly there is a God. Or when you walk out into the crisp air and you go, only God, only God could let me still love him in the middle of this freezing temperature. Or when you see a brand new baby and you hear its cry for the first time and you go, clearly, there is a God. Soul friendships are just as much evidence of the existence and the power of God in our lives. And so my question for you tonight is how do we get soul friends? How do we have these kinds of friends in our lives? And and maybe an even deeper question is how do you become a soul friend? How do you become this kind of person? And so what I want to do tonight is I actually want to take a bit of a tour through uh, the scriptures and look at three different friendships and look at some of the characteristics that existed in these soul friendships. And so what I want you to do is actually grab your Bible and we're going to turn to the Old Testament. We're going to start out with a friendship uh, between two guys. Two guys by the name of David and Jonathan. And you're going to turn to 1 Samuel 18. It's found on page 198. And we're going to look at this friendship first between these two men. And there have been countless studies done uh, on the differences in how men and women pursue friendships. And, and the, many of these studies say that women are natural, that, that they naturally pursue these kinds of soul friendships. And this is a struggle for men, that it is a little bit more difficult for them to pursue these kinds of friendships. And I actually believe, I actually believe that this first friendship that we're going to look at between David and Jonathan proves that theory wrong. These two men are soul friends Their lives are connected to one another. And I believe that God hardwired every single one of us for this desire. And so it's so beautiful to see this at work in a relationship between two men choosing to be friends. A little bit of context to David and Jonathan. So Jonathan, Jonathan is actually King Saul's Son, if you know anything about the story um, about King Saul, so he, he's the king, obviously, thus the title, King Saul. And uh, you would think that Jonathan would be the natural heir apparent to the throne, right? He's his son. But God had a different plan for Israel, and this young shepherd boy named David uh, comes onto the scene, and he eventually becomes the man that's going to stand in line to be king. So you think about this friendship that we're about to look at between David and Jonathan. And Jonathan, you know, he's, he's got the, the right to the throne. And so you would think that because it's now handed over to David, that he's got this natural jealousy, right? He's got this natural jealousy that rises up and almost like this anger. At least if, if I was the king's son and, and they handed it to somebody else, well, I wouldn't be a son. But if like I was the king's daughter and they handed it to somebody else, I'd be jealous. That, that's my rightful position. But the exact opposite, the exact opposite ensues, and and a beautiful friendship is formed. And we can see, actually, in 1 Samuel 18, what a soul friendship they have. It says this in 1 Samuel 18, that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan 
became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. He loved him as himself. It was this selfless friendship. It says that they were one in spirit, that there was this spirit connection between David and Jonathan. And I would encourage you to actually read this story in your own time, but as the story unfolds between David and Jonathan and and this friendship that they have with one another, we see a friendship and it's formed through all sorts of different experiences. It's formed through lots of loyalty, It's formed through enormous risk-taking. They've got this tender devotion to one another. They walk through very difficult, tough situations. And they share this real covenant, this commitment in their friendship. And it's commitment between the Spirit of God. In fact, you can actually read the story, and, and 14 chapters later, Jonathan actually dies, and David is, he's heartbroken, and he's just wrecked over his friend's death, and, and, and he cries out to God. In fact, you can, you can turn to it later, but um, it says in 2 Samuel 1.26, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. Okay, now, If you know anything about David, okay, you know any back history about David's life and his story, he was an expert in the area of women, okay? So let's just say he knew the love of a woman, sometimes appropriately, sometimes inappropriately, okay? Friends, it's in the Bible. This is where you give that uncomfortable laughter. It's just there. I don't put this stuff in there. It's in the Bible. But David and Jonathan, they they have this soul friendship, with one another. They have this soul friendship with one another. And and one of the clearest elements of their friendship was based on the evidence that their relationship was rooted in God. Their relationship was rooted in God. That, That earlier passage says that they were one in spirit, that there was a covenant between them in their friendship and with God. And Jonathan and David called one another to the deeper work of God in each other's lives. And and one of the most beautiful things about their relationship is that it was spirit-filled. It was a friendship that was spirit-filled. And a soul friend is this in our lives. A soul friend is spirit-filled. They connect us to the spirit of God. Soul friends always point towards the way that God would ask us to go. But what's beautiful about their friendship is that they don't have to lead the way. You see, a soul friend is willing to walk on the journey of life with us as we follow God, and they journey with us instead of tell us how to journey. And soul friends have this way of of turning one ear to God and one ear to their friends so that they can listen together to what God might be saying. These are the kinds of friends that are so very essential in our lives. They're the friends that that don't tell us the answer. They're the friends that that wait with us, they pray with us, they stay with us until we hear God give us an answer. A a number of years ago, I had a, uh, a season of my life that I was walking through, and it was a particularly difficult season. And a a woman entered into my life. Her name was Cheryl. And Cheryl became a soul friend to me during this season. Um, And and I remember when I would meet with Cheryl and when we would get together, um, we would pray together. She would read scripture to me. When I would ask her, um, you know, Cheryl, what should I do? What, what, What would be your advice as to how I should walk through this situation? She would always say this to me. Well, Jeannie, let's, let's go to the Father together and ask him what you should do. And in the beginning, I was like frustrated. I was like, come on, like just tell me. Like what do you think I should do? But she taught me how to listen to God's voice. She helped me connect to God. Do you have a friend like this that connects you to God? A friend that prays with you? that sits with you in the midst of difficulty? Do you have friends that help you connect to the Spirit of God? 
A soul friendship allows the Spirit of God to actively play a part in the friendship. So this is the first friendship, David and Jonathan. We're going to look at another one, okay? We're going to look at another friendship, this time between two women, Naomi and Ruth. So I want you to turn to the book of Ruth. It's found on page 182. You can turn over to there, and, and it's a short book, actually. It's only four chapters long. And a little bit of context to the story of Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is actually Ruth's mother-in-law. And three verses into this book of Ruth, we learn that Naomi's husband has died. And then eventually you go a couple more verses into the story and you find out that both of her sons have died. So Naomi is left with two daughter-in-laws. One of them is named Orpah, okay, not Oprah. Her name is Orpah. And the other is named Ruth. And Naomi tells the women, she tells Orpah and she tells Ruth, listen, go back to where you're from. You're young. You need to, you need to remarry. You need to move on with your lives. I'm going to go back to where I'm from. You should do the same. And Orpah does that. She goes back to where she's from. But Ruth, Ruth refuses to leave her. She has this deep love and care for Naomi, and it's so strong. And literally, in the first chapter of Ruth, Ruth 1.16, it says this. This is Ruth talking to Naomi. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And talk about devotion to a friend. Has anyone ever said that to you? I mean, that's amazing devotion that Ruth has to Naomi. And so that's exactly what happens. Ruth and Naomi actually go back to where Naomi is from. And when they get there, they realize, okay, we, we need a source of income. And so Ruth goes and gets a job. And it's harvest time. And so her job is actually walking behind the harvesters and the barley that they drop that they can't, you know, actually keep in their baskets. Ruth picks that up and sells that. And that's how she actually, you know, makes a, a, a living for them. Well, eventually, they find themselves in a field that was owned by a man named Boaz, okay? So Boaz, he's this good man, and, and he loves God. And Boaz actually developed a thing for Ruth. Um, he was interested in her. And so he, he let her work in his fields. In fact, he even ordered his workers to drop extra barley so that Ruth could have more for herself. This was like Old Testament flirting, okay? dropping barley. It's awesome. Um, well, Boaz, Boaz eventually married Ruth and they had a son and they had a son together. And the book of Ruth ends with this passage. Um, at the end of the book, it says this, then Naomi took the child in her arms, this child that Ruth and Boaz, um, this baby boy, um, and she cared for him. And the women that were living there that sort of had watched Naomi's story, had watched all that she had, had lost in her life. Um, and they said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. You see, the friendship, the friendship actually between Ruth and Naomi, when this friendship started, it actually had a lot working against it in the beginning. If you think about it. They started out as in-laws, right? Okay? I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I love my in-laws, but they're not like on my top 10 list of soul friends. They're wonderful people, but they had a lot working against them. They were in-laws right at the start. They were from different generations, different cultures, even different religions. There was deep tragedy in their story. They lost spouses, but you see the exact opposite happen. What could have made for a difficult friendship actually was an opportunity for a beautiful friendship to form. And what's so powerful about this friendship is that the previous friendship that we just looked at, the previous friendship that we just looked at would not have taken place. The friendship between David and Jonathan could not have taken place if it weren't for the friendship between Naomi and Ruth. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful to see how the story and the lineage is connected to one another? What's even more powerful is that it says that this baby, Obed, 
and, 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 and how Obed gave birth to Jesse and Jesse gave birth to David. You know who is in the line of David, in the lineage of David? is Jesus. What's so amazing is that we can literally track the Savior of the world back to a friendship between Ruth and Naomi. Back to a soul friendship between two obscure women. They have four chapters in the Bible. But you can trace our Savior back to this beautiful soul friendship. And what's beautiful about this friendship is that they had a soul level of openness with one another. There was openness in their friendship. And a soul friend is that. They are open. They are vulnerable. They are safe. And they are available. And soul friends, they do this in our lives for us. They make space for us. That's what Naomi and Ruth did for one another. It's the essence of hospitality. It's taking another person into my space, into my life. And soul friends do that. And they offer this kind of safety, that feeling of not having to weigh your words or measure your thoughts, that ability to to just pour yourself out, trusting that the other person will keep what is worth keeping, and with a breath of kindness, they're going to just blow away the rest. It's that gift where, where anything can be said without the fear of criticism or ridicule. It's that place where masks and pretenses can be set aside. And this is what Naomi and Ruth had with one another. It's a place of grace. And we need that in our soul friendships with each other. And I've been so blessed to have some, some women like this in my life, some men like this in my life that have offered this kind of soul friendship, this kind of openness to me. This last summer, I had um, a really special birthday, and I was moving into a new decade. And, um, and so uh, some amazing women uh, came together and took me out to lunch and celebrated my birthday. And it was, a, um, it was a monumental birthday. Like I was moving from one decade to another. And that decade did not start with a two and didn't start with a three. So you can fill in, you know, the next number up, up the chart. And so it was a big, it was a big uh, monumental day for me. And, and these women, we sat around this table, and they had come with all these uh, questions to ask and, and to bless me with statements of, of who I had been in their lives. Well, each of those women had been soul friends to me as well along the way. And one of those women uh, is a woman named Nancy. Um, she actually was, was here this morning uh, at the nine o'clock service. And I met Nancy when I was very young. I was in my early 20s. And Nancy was like this um, Naomi in my life. I was a young Ruth, and uh, I was trying to figure out my way and who I was going to become. And she became this sole friend to me. And she's the kind of woman that literally throughout the years, I have said to her a couple different times, listen, Nancy, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Because she, she offered this kind of openness. She offered this kind of vulnerability. She offered this kind of safety in my life. Do you have friends that do this for you? Where they offer this kind of vulnerability and safety? Because this is what soul friends do for one another. Well, the last friendship that I want us to look at tonight is actually a friendship between Jesus and his disciples. And so you can flip over to the New Testament. And one of the things that uh, actually has been really fun for me to do is to read through the Gospels and to actually look at Jesus's friendship with the disciples. You know, God and, and Jesus and the Spirit could have mastercrafted any kind of plan, any kind of plan, and yet that plan included for Jesus to become fully human and to build friendships. It's amazing to me that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, built friendships. He built friendships, and, and this was his master plan. Those friendships would then go on and launch the church. We exist here because Jesus built friendships. 
It's amazing to think, and, and you, you watch and you read throughout the Gospels, Jesus' interaction with his disciples. And one of my favorite moments in his friendship with, with the disciples is found in John 14. You can turn there. It's found on page 752. And in this chapter, uh, one of the things that's so cool, what's happening, uh, is that the disciples are just getting distressed. They're, they're, they're looking at the future. They see what's coming. They're stressed about what's out in front of them. It's like Sunday night. They know they've got to go to work tomorrow. You know, they're stressed about their future. Ever, ever had a moment where you're like, what is happening in my future? Or like, when is this going to happen or that going to happen? Okay, this is the disciples, right? They are stressed out of their minds. And Jesus is there with them. And and in this beautiful moment in John 14, 27, and you can just sort of picture, you know, perfect Jesus, right? You almost picture him saying it like softly but sternly. And he just sort of speaks into the moment and he says, peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And he just lays peace over their fear. He lays peace over their anxiety. And Jesus, what he does in this moment is he he gives words of understanding He gives words of understanding, and and this is an essential characteristic of what a soul friend does for us. They understand. They give us the gift of understanding. A soul friend is understanding. They are genuine, they are honest, and they are real. And soul friendships, uh, they're not just about doing or not doing certain things. It's sometimes the exact opposite in a soul friendship. It's rooted in this deep understanding with one another. It's that gift that a soul friend gives to another soul friend, the gift of not interrupting. The gift of just letting the person speak. It's the gift of of not attempting to solve their problems, not prematurely or inappropriately advising, not assuming that what has worked for them will work for the other. It is a genuine, honest real understanding. And if you've ever tasted this in a friendship, it's so amazing, isn't it? It's so good. I I love what Brene Brown says. She says that if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and with understanding, shame can't survive. Isn't that powerful? Shame can't survive in the friendship and it can't survive in the person. And I had a situation that happened a couple weeks ago to me. Um, I had a morning, and it was not uh, it was not one of my finer mommy mornings. And um, things just from the moment everybody got up were falling apart. It was like one of those moments. And uh, I found us in the kitchen, and we were eating breakfast, and and just everything was not good in the world. And um, I just, I lost it. And I lost my patience and I lost my temper and I yelled at both of my kids. And there was this tension in the house. There was this tension in the kitchen while we're eating breakfast and I could, I could almost feel them sort of pulling back from me. And it was, it's so not the, the culture that we want to create in our family. And I was having those moments where I was like, I don't know how to get out of this because I'm so stressed. I'm so frustrated. I'm, ugh, they're driving me crazy. And, um, and I just, I just had that moment. And, and so I was shuffling them down the stairs after breakfast. And I was like, come on, we got to get our hats on and our gloves on and our coats on and our boots on. And, And then I started getting really angry about where I lived. And I was like, if I lived in Hawaii, I wouldn't have these coats and I wouldn't have these boots. And I was like, cursing the Midwest and like, and, and we're down in, like in the area where we leave our house and literally everyone just started crying. All three of us were now crying. 
And Jared was like off leading a small group and he was like probably praying with people. And, and all three of us, me and Elijah and Gigi, we're just all crying. Like we're just, we, none of us can control ourselves. We're all just sobbing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a pastor. Like what is going on right now? And it's just, it's all falling apart. And so I, I'm like, okay, I, I got to pull it together here. Like this is just is, this is a wreck of a moment. And so I sit him down. I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry. Mommy was impatient. Will you forgive me? I was so wrong. I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, and they're like, of course, Mom, we love you. And later that day, we were talking about it, and we were discussing it as a family. And um, Elijah goes, Mom, I think that was your worst warning ever. <laughs> so um, our, uh, our eight-year-old is doesn't struggle with telling the truth. Um, he was right. Uh, it was probably the worst morning ever. And so we finally got in the car. I drove them over to the school and, you know, got them out and sent them on their way. And I pull out of the parking lot and I'm headed over, you know, to the church to, to go to work. And um, I had that moment where the Spirit of God so clearly prompted me. And I knew it was the Spirit of God because I wouldn't have thought of this on my own. And God just, you know, just put this idea in my mind and put this prompting and said, you need to write a note to your kids and you need to apologize. You need to get them a treat and drive back over to the school and leave it there for them. And so I knew it was God. And so I did. And so their love language is Dunkin' Donuts. And so... um, So I just drove my car straight into Dunkin' Donuts, got them each... A donut of choice, put it in a little bag, found a, uh, a, a piece of paper in my car and wrote each of them a note. I think I brought it here. Um, and, you know, just wrote each of them a quick little note I, and just said, Gigi, I love you with all my heart. I wrote one to Elijah too. I'm sorry I was not patient with you this morning. I wanted to let you know just how special you are to me. Love, Mommy. And I stapled it, uh, grabbed a stapler and stapled it to the, to the note and Pulled back into the school, got out of my car, went up the elevator, and I got off the elevator, and I walked off the elevator, and the second I got out, I was just going to go put it in their little cubby so they would find it at lunch. I get off the elevator, and there's my friend Tracy. She's standing right there, and she's, she's a dear friend of mine, and she's so bright, and she's so happy, and she's just this bubbly, life-filled person. She's like, hi, how are you? And I'm like, I literally, I I found myself wanting to go, I'm awesome. (laughs) Best morning ever. Kids just forgot their hat. I'm I'm just dropping it off as a great mom. See you later. You know, and I found myself like wanting to like make up this fake story about how my morning had gone. But Tracy's, she's becoming this soul friend. She is a soul friend in my life. And so I decided, nope. I'm just, I'm going to live in the moment. I'm going to tell her the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I was like, it was a terrible morning, Tracy. I fell apart. I lost my patience. I think I'm the worst mom ever on the planet. Like, my kids need more money in the counseling fund now. Like, (laughs) and she just looked at me and she grabbed me and she hugged me and she's like, oh, I have so many of those mornings, Jeannie. I understand. You're a great mom. She's like, look what you did. You got them donuts. You're a great mom. You came back over. And she just had, she had that moment where she stepped into what I was experiencing and she understood. She gave me the gift of understanding. And that's what soul friends do for one another. They give the gift of understanding. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend like that in your life? Do you offer this kind of understanding and honesty to your friends? Because that's what soul friends do. And, and over all of these things, you know, all of these three friendships that we looked at, all of these friendships, what's over all of them is love. Soul friends root their relationships in love. A soul friend never stops loving because love never gives Love never gives up. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said the world, the way that they're going to know us is they're going to know us by our love. 
It's the primary way to detect a Jesus follower is if they are loving. And I believe the same is true of soul friendships. They are rooted in love. You see, the supreme measure of transformation, if you want to really know if you're growing up, if you're really growing up, if you're really transforming, the supreme measurement of it is love. Are you becoming more loving? And a soul friend, no matter what, they never stop loving. And maybe you realized this as we were going through this. Maybe you didn't. But what soul friends are is that they are spirit-filled. They're open. They're understanding. And they are loving. And it's so cool that it spells out soul. It's so cheesy, I know, but you're going to remember it. So two questions for you as we leave tonight. Do you have a soul friend? Do you have a soul friend? And will you be a soul friend? You don't need a hundred of them. Probably don't even need ten of them. You probably don't even need... Five of them, but everyone needs at least one of them to grow up. Every one of us needs at least one of them to grow up. This is not about quantity. It's not about getting that many of them, but we need quality soul friends to become the people that God intended us to be. And those of you that know you have a soul friendship, you can even poke the person if they're sitting next to you tonight. If you have that kind of soul friendship. I want to say to you with all love and with all authority, are you being these things to them? Are you a spirit-filled friend to them? Are you giving them the gift of openness and understanding and over all of the things that are going on in their life, are you giving them the gift of unconditional love? Because that's what soul friends do for one another. And those of you that were perhaps Uh, sitting here tonight and you found yourself going, I don't know, I'm not sure if I do. I'm not sure if I have a soul friend. Here's what I would say to you. No one starts with no one. No one starts with no one. Everyone starts with someone. There is perhaps someone in your life that is just a conversation away from that friendship becoming a soul friendship. There may be a friend in your life and you've hovered up here on the surface for a while. But that friendship has the makings to become a soul friendship. And you may just be one conversation away of that friendship becoming a soul friendship. And they take time and they take patience. But you may actually already be in relationship with somebody that could be a soul friend to you and that you could be a soul friend to them. So I want to give us some homework this week. Your homework um, for each of us is I want you to think of at least one person. And and as I said, you may already know a soul friendship. It might be a sibling. It might be a spouse. It might be a dear friend. Or you may have a surface friendship that is waiting to become a soul friendship. The homework for every single one of us is will you have a conversation with them this week and will you ask them this question, how can I help you grow? How can I help you grow? Because that's what soul friends do for one another, right? They help one another grow and, and maybe even take it a little bit further. How could God use me to help you grow? And if you're feeling even extra courageous after the the time of blessing and thanksgiving and you're awesome and I love you and I'm so grateful for you, maybe even go a step further and say, here's how you can help me grow. Here's what I need from you in my life for, for you to be a soul friend to me. And and what's so amazing to me. What's so amazing to me about Jesus is is basically everything. But, But one of the most amazing things to me about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he says to us in John 15, 
He says these words, and this is literally mind-blowing for us to think about this. He says, I no longer call you servants. You are not just here. You're not just minions to serve my needs. I call you friend. Jesus, the son of God, the son of the living God calls us friend. You are a friend to God. You are a friend to Jesus. That should blow your mind. That blows my mind. That Jesus sees me as a friend. He sees you as a friend. And some of you tonight, you, you feel the sting and you even feel the loneliness of, I'm not sure I have a soul friend in my life. Yes, you do. You do, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is your friend. And he loves you, and he is more than filled with the Spirit. He helped create the Spirit. He's open, he's understanding, he is the very definition of love. In fact, he gave us the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit to live and to dwell and to breathe inside of us so that we could have freedom, so that we could actually learn how to offer these things in our soul friendships. And so as we move into a time of, of giving back to God and as we move into a time of worship, will you worship Jesus, your friend? Will you give back to Jesus, your friend, tonight? as he has given so much to us. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the beautiful gift of friendship, God. We thank you for the people in our lives that we have been marked by their friendship. We thank you for the ways that we have been changed and transformed and grown up because of the gift of friendship. And Lord, we come before you and we want to be these kinds of people. We want to be soul friends. We want to have soul friends. And God, we want the world to see these soul friendships because of the love that exists within them. And so Lord, as we, as we pause and as we think about all that you've given to us and as we give back to you right now, God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the gift of friendship in you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, as we come and as we worship, we ask that you would fill this place, that you would fill this room with your praise and with your glory and with your joy, God. That we would live in your presence and that because of that we would be free and that that would change our friendships with one another. And so God, thank you for this amazing invention of friendship. Thank you that you did not leave us to do this on our own. Thank you for how you are moving in this place. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.